0: Fantastic, thank you. Um, I'm going to tell you about the Institute of Human Obsolescence. It's an initiative on which we are exploring the future of labor in a society that more and more tends to automate both forms of manual labor, so everything that involves human moving or producing mechanical things, but also, I think there's a problem with the sound. Yes, can you hear me now? Yes? Okay. Okay, I start again. So, I'm going to tell you about the Institute of Human Obsolescence. It's a project I founded in 2015. I work with other collaborators from the fields of of economics, of activism, of data research, um, and other kinds. You can check most of them in the website, speculative.capital. And we are researching the future of labour in a society that more and more tends to automate both forms of manual and intellectual labour. And what do we mean with obsolescence? We are meaning the the transitional period on which more forms of labour are starting to be replaced by forms of technology, by algorithms and robots. For example, one case is with the taxi drivers. I believe all of you are familiar with the strikes and and the movement of protects of taxi drivers against Uber. This is a protest in in Germany. Um, It becomes quite tangible when we are thinking in the disruption that these new forms of innovation are provoking in the taxi industry. So for taxi drivers, it becomes relatively easy to map what is the problem that is disrupting their, their industry and, and what are their demands. Of course, we can question whether it makes sense to have human drivers driving cars or if it makes much more sense and is more safe to have robots or algorithms uh, driving cars. But to, to kind of look at the future of this problematic, I see that this is just a short-term problem. What is actually happening is that very soon the self-driving car will replace both the traditional taxi drivers and the Uber drivers. But when it comes to build a political positioning in in how to, to approach to approach this change in a way that actually benefits and and makes it in a sustainable way, it becomes much more difficult to to protest, for example, against automation. You are not protesting against a particular company or a particular set of private interests, but you are more or less discussing about a phenomena that is happening society-wide. Of course, we can also discuss what is the role of all the Uber drivers right now not just replacing traditional taxi drivers, but at the same time also building the data sets that are training the self-driving car. So, in a way, you can look at it as if they are not becoming obsolete, but they are just becoming the architects of their own obsolescence. By every time a Uber driver is producing data about the way they drive, they are just building self-driving systems. So I'm going to tell you now about the first project that we did in the Institute of Human Obsolescence. This was from 2015. It's called biological labor. In biological labor, we hire human workers to wear a body suit that harvests their residual body heat. All of us now are just wasting, you can say, our body heat. And this suit harvests it to produce electricity that runs a small microcomputer, a Raspberry Pi, that is producing cryptocurrency. The workers sign a contract and start working in working shifts in these working stations in periods of one, two, and three hours. And this was a way for us to question and challenge what the future of work might be in a society in which human labor is no longer required. Of course, this will also create new forms of inequality, as for example, as a taxi driver, I know more or less that if I start working at eight and I finish at nine, I know that my salary is going to be the same at nine than at eight. But when you are working just producing cryptocurrency with your body heat, you know how much you are producing at the beginning of the working shift but that amount is changing at the end of your working shift. So this form of work just poses new models of inequality and dependency on a market that is very much speculative. I guess by now all of you know the cryptocurrency markets are very much based on the speculation and the value is just constantly shifting. So if we will develop forms of labour that depend on this, we will also replicate and implement new models of inequality to be implemented in how we approach work. At some point in the institute we started to think, okay, is it really that we are becoming obsolete or is it that we have started to produce new forms of labour? Is it that we all have become 24-7 workers producing data in every step we do? So we started to understand the production of data as a form of work. Since the moment that you wake up and open your phone until the time that you go to sleep, and during your sleep, certain times you are producing data. More and more, more parts of our life are becoming data fights We are producing more and more data points in every aspect of our lives, and this data has a value. This data is being exploited for economic and other purposes. So in, in, in this situation in which we are producing something of value, we are the only ones who are actually not benefiting or not even having ownership of, those pro- of this production of work. So in 2017, we created this installation, it's titled Data Production Labor, on which we are trying to reveal this invisible labor that we are producing in, in our everyday life activities. This was when the installation was first presented in the classroom of Tactical Tech in London. The installation asks you to perform a working shift. There is no sound. No sound again. Becoming a a bit obsolete to produce sound. Okay. Can everyone hear me now? Okay, perfect. So, in data production labor, we invite the participants to perform a working shift of two minutes, on which they just have to lay down their phone. and scroll down in their social media feed. And this is a way to reveal that we are not just producing data when we create content or like something on Facebook, but the simple fact of scrolling down in your timeline is already producing information of what kind of speed you are scrolling, what kind of attention you are producing, or in which posts you stop, or which ones you just scroll fast. The installation also uses a system of facial recognition that is able to track what you are seeing in your screen and what is your visceral response to that content. So these platforms can understand that when you are looking at a particular content, you are getting this kind of reaction in your face. At the end of this working shift of two minutes, you receive a receipt that tries to suggest that you should demand ownership of this production of data that you have been performing, and it invites you to demand from these companies the ownership of this production. So, until now, I hope that you have been following me. We have not become obsolete, but we just have become invisible workers. And This is something that is happening in an ever-increasing path. So maybe some of you are wearing a Fitbit that is tracking the amount of steps that you do. This is also being used by insurance companies to save the policy that they are giving to you. And more and more and more aspects of our lives are becoming data points. So it's not a form of work that we are producing nine to five, but something that is becoming a complete, non-stop, invisible, by now, working shift. In 2017, last year, we started to discuss: Okay, if the production of data is work, how are going? How are we going to to, to reclaim the ownership of this production? And is it data something that we produce in an individual level, or is it something that we produce collective? If we are speaking about big data. We are not speaking about the individuals producing data, but we are speaking about collectives of people. I think recently there is finally a lot of discussion on whether we should approach how, how to gain ownership of our data. There are approaches that suggest that we should approach data as individual property, as something that perhaps you can sell or trade with. Well, we think that will be the wrong approach that will just create new models of inequality and perpetuate the existing system of living in a very much individualized society while we can actually have the potential now to have a more common approach to this production. So we started the Data Workers Union. The Data Workers Union aims to be a political initiative that tries to demand the ownership over the production of data, not just for individuals, but collectively. Um, Just to give you a few examples of the exploitation of your production of data, is all of you are all of you familiar with the CAPTCHA system of Google? Like every time that you have to prove that you are not a robot and you have to choose a few images to maybe map, this is a traffic sign, this is a human, and this is a car. This is presented to us in the narrative that you are just proving that you are not a robot. But what you are actually doing, you are training artificial intelligence systems of image recognition for Google. A year ago. Google sold this technology to the US Department of Defense to be used in the drone program. So try to think for a second that every time you are filling one of these captchas, you are being complicit in the killings of innocents of the drone program in Yemen, Syria, or other countries. The exploitation of your data is being misused for purposes that, first of all, we did not give consent, but we were not even aware. This was a program that was sold secretly to Google a year ago, and we just got to know about it two months ago because of a league of information. And a case that by now I think all of us are familiar is Cambridge Analytica, who also profited and exploited our production of data for political manipulation purposes. Cambridge Analytica just shut down a couple of days ago, by the way. Something that makes sense, but it shouldn't be the only one. And these are just two examples of military and political manipulation exploitation, and we have thousands of examples on how our data is being exploited for economic purposes. Um, OK, I'm fine with time. We have organized already assemblies of the data workers' union last year in Buenos Aires, in the Netherlands, and just last month in Italy. We think that this is a common quest, what we are in now. And in the panel yesterday on on digital colonialism, I mentioned how we have one great example of how the whole of the collective of human society can build a project together. And that was the Linux kernel. A project that was not tied to one particular nation state, that was not particularly tied to any private company, but that belongs to the commons and benefits the whole of human society why don't we approach big data as something that serves civilian society instead of these private or nation-state actors this is one of the main questions that we are discussing now who should own this production of data for which purposes what are also the limits between big data that we collectively produce or my personal data is it the same to speak about the data i produce or the data of a rock of a light These are questions that, right now, are intrinsically and urgently important. Let me give you an example of what I think might happen in a few years. Right now, we are discussing the business models of Google, Facebook, and so on as if they are just selling advertisements. Okay? What is actually happening, the end business model of these companies is to build AI services, AI services that are going to soon be replacing, as we saw in the previous case of Uber, are going to replace transportation, are going to replace healthcare, are going to replace education. So are you going to put the labor that you invest in producing data for these companies, are you going to let that very company control the education that you have in your democracies? Imagine also the context of having companies mainly based in the US creating educational models for Guatemala, for Brazil, for Spain or for many other companies. Do we want to live in a society in which a few private actors are controlling not just our social media platforms but the whole of our public infrastructures? And this is what might happen very soon, if we don't gain ownership over this production of data. That these companies will shift from providing the so-called free services, that is actually not a free service, but it's just a tool of exploitation to extract data from us. And that will just lead into the creation of AI services that they will then jump to sell to municipalities, to public institutions, they will go to Spain, to Portugal, to Greece and say, hey, you have this completely broken economical system of education and Google might offer a fantastic, cheap, automated solution to provide education for the whole of society and states will be just forced to adopt these systems in order to compete with the global global conglomerate of, of state competition. So what kind of alternatives we have? We can either take the approach of China, that for example is independent from the US imperialist vision of the GAFAN. So China does not rely on Google, does not rely on, on Facebook. They have their own ecosystem, but this is kind of leading them into just creating their very own monsters, on which they are independent from the US, but they are just becoming amazingly invasive tools of surveillance, and if you look into projects like social credit system, are becoming tools of massive society control. So can we change from giving our data for private corporations to having states controlling this data, or we might just go from one evil to another one? What we propose to overcome this scenario is that citizens should own their data. And citizens should also commonize this data. We, of course, have to still develop new visions, new methods, new technologies that separate what kind of data belongs to a sovereign individual and what kind of other data should be commonized and be serving for the common good. Because we can have a health uh, sector that is owned by the people, that it serves, by the pe- it serves the people, or we can have a healthcare system controlled by private corporations on which we highly depend, on which we do not have any control, and on which the countries, and in this case the US that own these companies, will implement new models of digital colonialism just implementing everywhere the kinds of model that they want. Now, to keep it short, I hope we have some time to, to still take some questions. Uh, if you are interested in the project, in the data workers' union, in the institute, please write us an email and get in touch with us. And um, I will be happy now to take some questions. Thank you. Thank you,
1: uh, Manuel. Um, are there questions for Manuel? somebody yeah I just want to make sure thanks for your inspiring talk, do you hear me? do you hear me now? ok so, thanks again for your inspiring talk. And um, I have a question towards the first project, or whether I understood it correctly. So, you're using uh, body heat to create energy, which is being used for mining uh, cryptocurrency. Okay, thanks. Okay. It's very interesting, <laughs> like that. So, you, um, uh, the second question to that is so, you run a pool? You run a.
0: Yes, precisely. So, um, the three workers that are participating are connected to a pool, so they are mining collectively uh, for the pool, that, that also creates interesting dynamics So, for example, every individual worker does not produce enough value to even receive the cryptocurrency. Just when you commonize this production, it becomes something of value that you can see it as a metaphor of how it works with big data. Like, the data that each of us produce individually does not have any value data just becomes valuable when it's aggregated together. And then we can make sense and we can make value out of it.
1: Thank you. Any more questions? Yeah. Hello. Uh, Thank you for the talk. That was uh, very interesting. I guess my question is around um, the data collection that companies are doing off of us individually now. Um, It seems like that is kind of the crux of your um, argument around what shouldn't be collected and who should have ownership. Um, So I guess I kind of see that as in the past uh, the way we as individuals spent our recreation time was not collected by the companies that we were giving that to and now companies are able to collect that data and are, um, that's another uh, form of revenue for them. Um, how come uh, it seems like one solution other than giving ownership of that data to the public would be to just prevent companies from collecting that in the first place. Is that an option?
0: Yes, of course. I think it, it should belong to us, that decision. First of all, these companies are enforcing on us what kinds of data that we produce. So for example, Google might be enforcing that we are all now producing geolocation data for Google. But if we as citizens will decide what kind of data we are collecting, we can produce and collect data that is beneficial for citizens. So if Google arrives to a new city and decides to collect data so they can better target advertisement for tourists, this does not necessarily benefit the people that live in that place, but benefits capital. To regain ownership, not just of the data that we produce, but of the very production and the means of production of this data means that we will have also the right to choose which kinds of data we want to produce and which kinds of data we do not want to produce. So this is why I speak not just about capitalizing the data that we produce, not just about getting an economic benefit of the data that we produce, but gaining ownership and therefore control so, for example, the Data Workers Union demands an end of the exploitation of data for military purposes, as we saw in the case of Project Maven. This is a form of data exploitation and slavery that, first of all, we are not even aware that is happening. These companies are trying to just hide it from us. And that I believe many of us will highly disagree of this data to be produced. So, indeed, we have to, we have to develop a new vision, a new imaginary of what does it mean to live in a society on which, as you pointed out, more and more of our daily life activities are producing data. What is the result of that in the larger picture of things?
1: Any more questions? Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot for this uh, inspiring speech and shocking um, information. Did you already also think about uh, the moment when, when all of uh, our data, human biological data, is measured, and this somehow the world has been measured, the biological world by these corporations? Uh, where will the value of classical labour lie? Is this something your your institution is also mm-hmm. looking to, to this perspective? Thank you. Yeah, that that's a very question that we are we are trying to tackle right now because. I mean, right now we are speaking about the value of our data as if it's something incredibly valuable that also can can give us a lot of power if we regain the control over it. But humans in combination with technology and, and these technologies are just growing in this way because we believe that through technology we can better understand the world and we can better understand ourselves. And we believe that that will lead to great improvements in human society, but indeed, What is the value of the production of our data when enough data has been harvested about humans? Humans are quite repetitive animals, like we very much repeat the same tasks, follow the same patterns. So there will arrive a point on which these conglomerates will have harvested enough data about human behavior. In that moment, the data that we produce might not be as valuable as it is now. So we might actually, if we don't take an urgent call now regaining this ownership, we might lose an opportunity on which we cannot even uh, demand the ownership of our production of data as a strong political tool because it's meaningless already. So this is a question that perhaps now we are in the last time on human civilization on which we can regain still control of the future of technological progress by regaining control of data, but in a few years this might change. Um, one more question, yeah?
1: Thank you. Um, You said regaining control would afford us power, would give us power. Don't you need power in the first place to regain control? So, I still don't quite see what, let's say, the second step would be in trying to regain control of data. I, I can see the call... But now what? How are we going to make it happen? Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: I absolutely agree with you. Like We do not have yet the power to build control. We do not even approach this as a political struggle. And, and this is, also, I think, why as an artist, I'm trying to create new imaginaries that are also political imaginaries, as in the case of the Data Workers Union, because this is not going to happen magically. We are not approaching the question of the ownership of data as a thing that the international left is discussing everywhere. But we are just starting to grasp the political implications of this dynamics. So it's perhaps important to mention that perhaps we should not regain control of data. We should gain control of the data in the first place because we never had it before. It has, from the very beginning, started to be in the hands of these companies. But we just now start to glimpse the very dangerous implications of it. So we need new visions. We need new political platforms, political initiatives that build that kind of power and agency that you are speaking about in order to gain this data ownership.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Manuel. Unfortunately, we don't have time for more questions, but um, thank you, Manuel. And
0: Thank you. Yeah. Uh,
1: maybe you can talk to you afterwards if they have more questions. about.
0: I would love to take some more questions now out if you still want to. Thanks we yeah.